0: I'm not loud enough, and if you crank it up a little bit more, let me know. That is had this message on my heart for a while, and we are a church that focuses on Bible teaching, and consequently we don't spend a lot of time preaching about current events. Uh, Lately, however, we're experiencing some things that either threaten or at least question the role of church in society. And and the church needs to address those things in light of scripture. I warn you now that this sermon may border on the flooding. The news lately has been filled with uh, events related to the so-called social justice movement. I forgot I was supposed to send the kids out. Uh, we are having children's worship today. Anyway, the social justice movement, I want to take a look at that today and compare and contrast that with the biblical gospel. Some churches have embraced the social justice movement As an expression of the gospel, or at least as an extension of the gospel, is it a proper expression of the biblical gospel? Or is it an enemy of the gospel? Many are asking, what's the church's place? What's my place? Shouldn't we be concerned about social justice? First of all, let's take a look at what the Bible tells us. If we look at the ministry of Jesus, let's take a look at how he taught and modeled justice. In his very first message in the synagogue at Nazareth, uh, he quoted from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is now upon me because he anointed me to preach the Gospels of he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are down in trial. You also remember that he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> he also said, love God, love your neighbor, do unto others as you have them do unto you. That's biblical justice at its simplest. It's a lifestyle, not a project complete. In Matthew 10, he said, Whoever gives a cup of cold water to a child because he's my disciple, truly will never lose his reward. Jesus modeled and taught. He demonstrated compassion in every way throughout his ministry. And he always defended the marginalized in society. And Jesus' attitude toward justice was carried forward by other writers of Scripture. James tells us that pure and undefiled religion is to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Isaiah tells us to learn to do good, seek justice, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. Proverbs 31 tells us to open our mouth for the dumb and for the rights of the unfortunate. Ezekiel told the Israelites, a righteous man doesn't oppress anyone. And of course, in Micah, he said, what has the Lord required of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? So it's clear That we are to recognize injustice and to practice justice in our personal lives. The Bible also makes it clear that we're to practice good works. Justice and good works, however, are never the central focus of the gospel. Never. When Ezekiel preached to the Israelites who were in captivity in Babylon, he said, return to the Lord or you'll die in your sin. He didn't seem to be concerned about the fact that they were captives. He was concerned about eternal matters. Let's take a look at the uh, social justice definition of justice. Most of us would define justice as Fairness or equal treatment under the law. But that's not how the social justice adherents define justice. To them, justice means equality or equal distribution of advantages and resources. There should be no disparity between groups in society. If you have more money than I, according to them, that's an injustice. And so wants to blame. They resent people who have the life they desire, and they believe that the more fortunate should actually feel guilty for their fortune or for the Lord's blessing in their life. After all, they believe that it's the other person's wealth that is somehow making them poor. They're victims. They believe that their situations have nothing to do with effort, moral discipline, or God's favor. They're simply victims. As you can see, this is a totally different definition of justice. Jesus died for our sins, not for social equity. Let's look at some other discrepancies. First of all, as Christians, we believe that the ills of society, violence, oppression, dysfunction, etc., are the result of sin. Because sin is the nature of man. If there are people, there will be sin. The Bible tells us that the only remedy for sin is the blood of Jesus. Social justice adherents tell us that. Societal oppression is to blame for all unrest and violence, etc. These are just the natural responses of victims, they say. So are we sinners or are we victims? Is our situation in life the result of our own sinful and unwise choices? Or have we been oppressed by society? The human response to sin and guilt has always been the same since Adam and Eve. The response is, it's not my fault. That excuse is at the root of social justice theory. The Bible, on the other hand, teaches that sin is always the cause of problems and that Jesus' blood is the only remedy for that sin, if we embrace the idea of victimhood, we're disregarding sin and individual responsibility. If there's no sin, there's no remedy other than human wisdom, and that's no remedy at all. Paul warned us in Galatians not to call after anyone who's preaching a different gospel than we present it to you. The social justice gospel is definitely a different gospel. Social justice ideology is, at its core, Marxist, although they prefer uh, more socially acceptable titles. uh, Marxists always focus on oppressed groups. It's never about the individual. Today's favorites are identity groups based on poverty, gender, uh, race, or sexual orientation. See, Marx believed that there was this inevitable societal evolution that would lead us toward youth um, and that it was inevitable that workers would rise up against their oppressive capitalist masters and they would invent a new uh, utopian society. That revolution never happened in America, largely because our nation was based on that Christian framework of, uh, of freedom, individual rights, and personal responsibility. So modern day Marxists have included other groups in the category of the oppressed. This is not the gospel. This is a perversion of it. The Bible teaches individual responsibility, individual salvation, and individual judgment. The Bible promises us that we will be judged on the basis of our own lives, our own sin. We're not judged by the sin of our fathers. We are affected by the sin of Adam, we're affected by the sin of our fathers, but we're not held guilty for that. We bear the weight of our own sin. The social justice movement tells us that if we're not a victim of oppression, we're probably an oppressor even if we don't realize it. Therefore, we're guilty of the sins of the state, or we're guilty for sins committed back in history. But the gospel focuses on individual redemption and makes it clear that we're responsible for our own choices and behaviors, and are thus pretty much responsible for the outcome of our life. Proverbs 18.3 says the foolishness of man destroys his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. It's what we're seeing. There have been times in history that the church has spoken out strongly against oppression, such as in the days of slavery, uh, during the Nazi Holocaust, some churches were very strong. There's also true oppression going on in our world today that the church needs to speak out about such as sex trafficking, exploitation of children, abortion, Christian persecution and as well as jihad. Interestingly the social justice people aren't concerned about those and they don't consider any of those groups worthy of support. For example, we're concerned about the rights of the unborn, Social justice is concerned about free and equal access to abortion. The murdered babies are inconsequential to them. It's clear that they and the church have a totally different view regarding the nature of oppression and victimhood traditional societal norms, such as Judeo-Christian values and the United States Constitution, stand in the way of that Marxist societal evolution. Thus, their their ideology is clearly an enemy of the biblical gospel. And since our nation was founded on Christian principles, our nation and the American life have also become their targets. As Christians, we know that as lives are redeemed by the gospel, we will influence society. Uh, Jesus talked about being salt and light to the world. Social justice lawyers believe just the opposite. They believe that society must be transformed, and then human nature will magically change. All utopian dreams throughout history have been destroyed by the reality of sinful human nature. It's the thing they can never quite grasp. We know that sinful human nature can only change through a spiritual rebirth, but the foundation of Marxism is atheism. So a spiritual rebirth is not an option. Social justice never acknowledges God, except to occasionally question, if there is a God, why would he allow all this uh, oppression to exist? Recently, one of the uh, major news anchors announced to the nation that we don't need help from above. We have the power within us. That's a little scary. The social justice prophets always deify human wisdom. That's the best they have to offer. The gospel, however, tells us that the human heart deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Most of us know that to be true. Jesus is the only remedy for that. Churches and individuals who accept or embrace social justice theology are embracing atheistic ideology. How can that exist in the church of Jesus Christ? Another glaring discrepancy in my opinion is the difference in the attitudes between those proclaiming the gospel and those proclaiming social justice. Have you noticed the ungodly rage on exhibit in the protests going on? The Bible makes it clear that our lives are to be characterized by the love We need to be careful not to respond in anger. We have to remember that our true enemy is Satan, not the social activists. They're driven by anger toward the so called oppressors, but we ought to be motivated by love and compassion for the oppressed. A believer's life should be marked by gratitude the social justice activists exhibit a total lack of gratitude. There's no gratitude to God, to our nation, to our nation's founders, to the church. There doesn't seem to be any gratitude at all. In fact, hatred for those people and those institutions is evident in the destruction of government property, churches. And historic symbols. The gospel and anything it represents has become very important. It's interesting, however, to hear them refer to Christians as haters. Doesn't that irritate you? We're haters because we, in their eyes, because we disagree with their views. Look at who demonstrates me. Another huge difference I see is in the level of compassion. As believers, we should feel compassion for the oppressed as Jesus did. He was motivated by compassion, and so should we be. But compassion needs to be guided by the Holy Spirit, or it can turn into a misguided sympathy that actually enables people to continue unwise or sinful lives. In the social justice world, we see selective compassion. They feel compassion for single pregnant women, but not for their unborn babies. They feel compassion for victims of racism or bigotry, but never any compassion for uh, policemen who are trying their best to restore order. They're compassionate towards Muslims, but never toward Jews and rarely toward Christians. Our works of compassion need to be consistent and must not be uninformed or impulsive. We need to depend on God's guidance in those areas. Christians look to the Bible for wisdom, for inspiration, and for understanding of the the things of life. Social justice crowd looks for wisdom and inspiration from Marx and Lenin and Mao and their current favorite Sololinsky. In the preface of his book, Rules for Radical, which has been become a guidebook for some, he pays tribute to Lucifer, the very first radical. That shouldn't be a surprise to us, because James tells us in chapter 4 that the wisdom that does not come from above is earthly, natural, and demonic. He contrasts that wisdom with the wisdom from above, which he describes as pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a very clear indication of the source of so-called wisdom. Our Declaration of Independence eloquently stated that we are created equal and are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. It makes it clear that our rights, our liberty comes from God Himself. And it's the role of government to defend and protect those rights. The social justice version is, first of all, they aren't rights. They're privileges granted to you by the government, which may be withdrawn at any point for the good of the state. This should be enough contrast to make my point that the social justice Movement is a perversion perversion of the gospel. And the church must awaken and defend and proclaim the true gospel of sin and salvation. We've been too passive in allowing this perversion to to spread through churches. So what do we do? Let, Let me give you some suggestions. As most of you here recognize, you need to be involved in a church that recognizes and proclaims the gospel, and one that is willing to stand against any other different gospel. If your church doesn't offer any more than, than the good works that a social club could offer, why even call it a church? I'm a part of this church because. We preach the gospel and I see lives being transformed by our teaching, by our prayers, and by our fellowship. If if the efforts we put forth only succeed in seeing people go to hell with a full stomach instead of an empty one, we haven't accomplished much. disciples that has to remain our central focus we need to be in prayer everyone can be a prayer warrior. it just takes willingness first timothy 2 2 tells us to pray for all who are in authority so that we might live a quiet and peaceful life isn't that what we need at this time Prayer is not our plan if all else fails. Prayer is our first and most powerful tool. And I would encourage you to get personally engaged in the battle in some way that remains safe to the gospel. There's a lot of nastiness in politics, but we need to be informed and willing to defend our beliefs. We can't relinquish the entire political arena to the unbelievers. We have some territory to reclaim. Don't be afraid to take a stand or to become involved. We desperately need the Christian perspective represented in the political world. Be careful about joining organizations that Strive to minister to the oppressed. If you're part of an organization, you are representing and furthering their aims and their ideology. And a lot of Christians are blindly pulled into things that are ungodly just because it sounds good on the surface. Find out what the organization believes and supports. The Bible tells us we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We have nothing of eternal consequence in common with them. If you see examples of injustice, reach out personally to people who are suffering. Remember, we look at Jesus' ministry. He ministered to individuals most of the time. Be wary of protests. I recognize that there's nothing inherently wrong with protests, uh, and some Christian protests have accomplished some good. But protests are hard to control, and they can turn ugly or dangerous very quickly. And if we look at Jesus' ministry, he never staged organized civil actions. That wasn't his style. On a practical note, be careful of social media. It's, it's an easy forum to express your views, but it often leads to pointless arguments that will leave everyone looking really I hope this message has, has, has been informative, me, has, has clarified some things, and I hope it's, it's stirred your hearts. There's a lot of opposition in the world to the biblical gospel. The church can't afford to cruise along fat, dumb, and happy, uh, accepting anything that looks good or sounds good. Please seek the Lord about what he would have you do. Pray also for our church that we will remain true and consistent and effective in proclaiming the true gospel in our community. Let's pray. Dear Lord, give us wisdom and discernment so that we aren't led astray by a different gospel. We pray for boldness and opportunities to proclaim your gospel to a sick and dying world. We pray for our president, we pray for Congress, and all the leaders of our nation. We ask that you would grant them godly understanding so that they can lead us and lead our nation in a way that honors you. We seek your continued blessing on our church. As we strive to reach our community for you, we thank you.